I'd ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning. We're going to be in the first chapter of the book of Luke. And we're continuing on in a sermon series called Simply Christmas. We've been looking at the Christmas story chronologically from the beginning to the end. And two weeks ago, we had this reminder from the Apostle John that the Christmas story did not start in Bethlehem but rather it started in heaven before creation. And last week we looked at the fact that Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth were told of the miraculous way that they were going to be parents of two men who were going to change the course of history. Zechariah and Elizabeth would be the parents of a man that we know by the name of John the Baptist. He was the one who was going to come before Jesus, and he was going to let people know that the Messiah is coming and warn people that they needed to be prepared, that the Messiah that has been prophesied is on his way. And then we have Mary and Joseph, who, of course, are the parents of Jesus. Mary and Joseph were both visited by an angel and told separately that they were going to be parents, and we saw the the human side of Mary when she was perplexed. She was somewhat in, maybe scared of the fact that there was an angel who had come to speak to her. And then we heard Mary sing. We heard her sing the song of praise to God when she, when she worshiped God the Father for allowing her to be the woman who was going to be used to bring the Messiah into the world. This morning... As the gospel writers continue on their their story, and we continue to look at this story from beginning to end, we first have the birth of John the Baptist before we get to the, the, the epic moment of our Christmas story is the birth of Jesus Christ, which will come next week. But we have first the birth of John the Baptist. See, we're starting to see these stories of John the Baptist and Jesus the Messiah. We're starting to see them be intertwined together. There's a family connection here. Family is so important in the Bible and in the Old Testament and in the prophecies. And since the day that Jesus was born, you and I have actually been given the opportunity to become part of this actual family, the family of God. Amen? When we we come, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're all connected and all intertwined with this family that had, had moments leading up to the birth of Christ. But as it all straightens out, if you were to take this family tree, which is all crooked with branches and and twigs going everywhere and straightened it all out, our entire family tree leads to Jesus. The family of God doesn't start with the people who came after Christ, though. See, it started much earlier than the birth of Jesus. When when John the Baptist was born, a few months before Jesus was born, John the Baptist becomes the last member born of the before Christ family. You have John the Baptist, 
you have Jesus, and now everyone else is the, okay, Jesus is here, family, right? Family is so important, and we're going to see how it all comes together today as we look at this story and we continue reading and studying Simply Christmas. I ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke in chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 57 before we turn to Matthew in a message that I've titled, The Not-So-Royal Family of Jesus. Now, there's a couple of things to know about this moment in time that we're at right now. The Bible tells us that Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, was pregnant for six months before Mary was told that, that she herself was pregnant. And if we do the math right, that would tell us that John the Baptist is about six months older than Jesus, right? We know that there is a, that they are relatives. The Bible tells us that Elizabeth and Mary are relatives. So it's safe to, to say that Jesus and John the Baptist are relatives. Now, Mary's mother, it's on Mary's mother's side of the family that she's connected to Elizabeth, okay? So there's family that is connection. Elizabeth was from the tribe of Levi. Mary was from the tribe of Judah. Remember the 12 tribes? Okay, I'm not going to ask anyone to name all 12 tribes. But they're from two different tribes, but they come together as family. And if you remember, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, had, he had his mouth shut for six months by the angel Gabriel. And he hadn't been able to speak because when Zechariah was in the temple and the angel came and told Zechariah that he was going to be a father of John, Zechariah said, so how do I know that this is true? And the angel basically said, okay, since you don't believe me, <laughs> watch this. And he just shut his mouth for he says, until everything that I say comes true, you're not going to talk again. And because Zechariah was looking for evidence that this angel wasn't lying to him. And for that misbelief, Gabriel just said, that's it. You're done. And that brings us to Luke chapter 1, verse number 57. It says, now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed great mercy towards her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zechariah after his father. Verse number 60. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. So, okay, we're going to stop for a second. We see some traditions in these verses of back in this day and age. There were Jewish customs, and Elizabeth and Zechariah are following the law that had been given to God way back. This goes way back into Genesis. Genesis 17, 12. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. It says, And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not one of your descendants. So there is this rule, and now it's the custom on the eighth day for the male children to come and be circumcised, and they're going to be named. This custom of being named goes back to the time when Abraham, let me rephrase that, when Abram 
was circumcised and he was given a new name. Remember that? He was given a new name. So that's where this comes from. It would not be uncommon for a child to live their first eight days of their life without a name. So, hey, you would work? Like, have you ever called, like, all ten of the kids in the wrong one, like, ten times? That's cool. In the first eight days, all of that is fine, because the kid literally doesn't have a name for eight days. But Elizabeth, being the only parent who at this moment in time has a voice, because Zechariah can't talk, right? She stands up and, and she says, no, 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 we're not naming him after his dad. His name is John. And that was so perplexing to the people. Look what they say in verse number 61. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father and, and asked him what he wanted to be called. And his father, Zachariah, asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. I would bet you that once Zechariah could speak now, he probably does something like this. He's like, oh, 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 like stretching out his jaw, probably starts making some noises because he hasn't been able to, to speak in months, right? And everyone around is seeing this. Watch this, verse 65. Fear came on all those living around them and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord is certainly with him. So here are all these people around who just witnessed this miracle. They know that Zechariah, he came home from work at the temple a few months ago, and he hasn't been able to talk to anyone since then. He still had to go into town to the post office. He still had to go into town to get gas. He still had to go into town to Walmart. But he can't talk to anyone, right? So everyone knows there's something wrong with Zechariah. And now, once his son is named, ooh, his voice comes back. And people are starting to wonder, what's going on? Is this child going to turn out to be something spectacular because God's in this situation? Watch this. Now we can see right away this connection back to when Gabriel spoke to Zechariah. Okay, so remember, when Zechariah's voice was taken away, Gabriel spoke to him. Look what Gabriel said. I'm going to read this to you. Luke, this is back in chapter 1, verse 16. Gabriel said, And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. So that's the reason for John the Baptist. Point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us on the left side of your bulletin, you'll find a fill in the blank. And, and those are notes. You can take those with you and, and fill those in. Point number one on your notes, the purpose of the birth of John the Baptist was to point people to Jesus. The purpose of the birth of John the Baptist is to point people to Jesus. See, this turnaround that Gabriel had talked about, Gabriel said he's going to come and turn around the hearts of people back to God, this turnaround is already happening on day eight. John's eight days old, and this turnaround is already happening. People are already making a connection between John the Baptist, this child, and God. They're saying, wow, 
I don't know what happened, but God's involved here. And they took that story back home with them. They had just literally seen a miracle. Zechariah knows what's going on. The Bible doesn't tell us if he decided to tell everyone at that naming party like what had happened to him at the temple. You would think that he might, right? He gets his voice back, and he might want to tell everyone what's going on. He might want to say, hey, you know what? I was in the temple six months ago. <laughs> You're not going to believe this, but uh, this angel Gabriel came to me and told me I was going to have a son, told me to name him John, and I didn't believe him, so I shut my mouth. You would think that, that Zechariah might want to say something like that, right? But he doesn't. If we just got our voice back, we might like start telling that story to other people, right? But Zechariah has something better to do with his newfound voice. Zechariah starts to praise God and prophesy. Read with me back in verse number 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Salvation comes from our, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Wow, you just got your voice back. And you use your first words to praise God. Isn't that amazing? And then look what he says now. Now, Zechariah, he turns from speaking to God and prophesying about what's going to happen. And he turns and he starts this proclamation of, of God's forthcoming work towards the child in his arms right now. Verse number 76. And you, child, speaking to his, his kid in his arms, okay? will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace." That wraps up all that we know about John the Baptist in his childhood. We've heard the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and now the birth of John the Baptist and his father getting his voice back and praising God with prophecy, and, and now prophesying about his, his son. And verse 80 here leaves us with the last that we're going to hear about John the Baptist, from the day he is eight days old to the time he's 30. Verse number 80 says, And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until the day of his public appearance to Israel. That's the early story of John the Baptist. 
As our series continues, many of you know that once simply Christmas finishes, we're going to continue on chronologically through the New Testament and the life of Jesus, but that means that we're going to see John the Baptist again in early January, because John the Baptist is pretty quick. We're going to see him. He gets the name Baptist because he baptizes, right? And so we're going to see that in early January. So um, John the Baptist, we, we got a chance to see him be born, and we're going to zoom 30 years in about five weeks, and we'll see him again in January. So now that the, now that the gospel writers have given us the birth of John, we're about to turn our attention to the main character in our Christmas story. So far in Simply Christmas, we've heard about Mary and Joseph and Uncle Zach and Aunt Lizzie and John, and now we're finally coming to the birth of Jesus. But the Bible makes such an important emphasis on family, and it doesn't stop now. It, goes, it actually goes deeper, and it goes real deep. And there's a reason for this deep dive into family. It has a lot to do with answering prophecy. It has a lot to do with the fact that there are the, these, these family roots are there to show people that what is happening right now when Jesus is born is exactly what the scriptures have called for throughout the Old Testament. To the Jews of that day, the lineage of their family, it was so important. Your lineage and your family and your connection to the tribes would, it would, it would show and it, it would bring out your privileges as a member of the Jewish household. There was a time when the Jews were exiled out of, out of their land. They were exiled to Babylon. And for 70 years, the Jews were in Babylon, and when they came back, when they were allowed to come back into Jerusalem, a lot of their systems and a lot of everything they knew had been destroyed, so they needed to start rebuilding these, these foundations, and they needed priests. But in order to be a priest... When, when they came back, you had to be able to trace your lineage back to the tribe of Levi. So through the 70 years of exile, back to before they went into exile, you had to be able to trace your family tree. It was that important. Sometimes you couldn't own land if you were a, uh, if you could not prove exactly your family tree going back into the tribes. There were times that, that families would, would maybe adopt foreigners who would become part of the family. And, and if that foreigner was part of the family and had a child with one of the tribe members, well, that child now can't trace their family directly back to two tribes, right? So this is really, really important to literally find all the members of the tribes and to keep records. They kept these records in the safest, most sacred place in all of, of the Jewish land. They kept records in the temple. In our culture, our past family lines seem to have become more popular to trace in our modern day. Some of you might actually 
get a kit for Christmas because they're on sale right now. And, and more people nowadays find this out to, 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 to maybe find out who we are personally, not who we were. But we might send off for that kit that comes in the mail. And what you do, you get one of these kits and you spit in a tube and then you mail it off to like Ancestry.com or 23andMe.com. Have you heard of these companies? Okay. So, and what they're going to do, the scientists are going to take your DNA and they're going to match it up with DNA from other people who have spit in a tube and, and they're going to help kind of build this tree, but they're going to see from your DNA where in the world you came from. And they could give you information on, oh, you've got 80% of, of your family is from this spot in Europe or in this spot in Australia or we've got no clue. We, you know, so I, I'm sure that that's an option too. We can't, we don't know who you are. But there's a lot of people these days that are finding their family tree through science. In, in our culture, that's the way we do things. But in the culture in the day that Jesus lived, they wouldn't have needed Ancestry.com because their family trees were so precise. They needed to know everything was kept in the temple. There were details on whose child you were. There was details on what tribe you belonged to. There were details on how many wives your father had. There were details on how many children the wives of your father had. And so on and so on so that everything could be kept track of. See, it's so important in the Bible, this family uh, lineage is important, and it's so important we have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis to find out why, and why it matters to our Christmas story. See, in Genesis chapter 22, God bestowed on Abraham, after this incident in the mountain with Abraham's son Isaac, where Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, and because he was following the Lord's command, you might, you might remember in the story that Abraham and Isaac, they walked up to the mountain, right? And they're carrying wood and a knife, and Isaac says, Dad, where's the ram for the sacrifice? Right? And Abraham says, young Isaac, the Lord will provide, right? All knowing that his full intention is to take his son up on this hill and sacrifice his son because that's what God told him to do. And as Abraham built the altar and placed his son on the sticks and, and Abraham lunged back with the knife and he's about to sink it into, and he stopped. I'm going to read from Genesis 22, verse 15 through 17. It says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars in the heavens and as the sand on which this is in the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of the, their enemies and your seed, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The Apostle Paul recaps this verse in the New Testament book of Galatians. He writes in Galatians 3.16, he says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Watch this. He does not say, and to seeds, referring to many. He says, and to your seed, singular, that is Christ. So this is why it's so important for this family lineage 
to be shown all the way back to Abraham. Point number two in your notes. The promise of a Messiah through the family of Abraham is an important part of the Christmas story. The promise of a Messiah through the family of Abraham is such an important point of the Christmas story. The details are drastically important because it's one of the points of evidence that is going to be used to prove that this child born in a manger is the Messiah. If you can imagine Abraham, and if you can imagine a family tree, he has branches going out of this family tree in all kinds of different directions. But there's only one branch that goes all the way through David to Jesus, right? There's only one branch. But if anyone is going to believe that this is the Messiah, that's a prophecy, right? We have to be able to see that. We have to be able to prove that. The Jews certainly want to know that. You have to remember that no content had been added to the Bible in 400 years at this point. And if somebody is going to claim to be the Messiah, you're going to have to prove it. You're going to have to show us that these prophecies that we're waiting for actually are going to come true. Right? They knew that there was a babe going to be born in Bethlehem. That's in their scriptures. They know that. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. This is the very beginning of our New Testament. Matthew chapter 1 is a place where many people will start to read their Bible for the very first time. And without really knowing what we're looking at, some people, this might be the last time. I'd always invite people to start reading their Bible in Matthew chapter 2. But this is, well, coming after verse uh, 17. Because you're going to find a lot of names here. And this is really important, this list of names. See, Matthew is going to present a genealogy going back along the family tree of Joseph all the way back to Abraham. Matthew lists 46 people in his genealogy. That's 46 generations going back about 2,000 years. It's a long time, right? That's a lot of records. That, that are compiled here. And some of the people that made the list in Matthew are people that we know from Bible stories that we've read. Abraham is part of the list. Isaac is part of the list. Ruth is part of the list. King David is part of this list. And, and Matthew's not the only person to present a list of the family of Jesus and a genealogy of Jesus. If you remember two weeks ago, we started out our Simply Christmas series with the writings from Dr. Luke, right? Luke also has penned, the, he, he wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and he did some heavy investigation. Remember we talked about that. This was important to Luke, important enough that he wanted to investigate, and he wanted to make sure that his facts were correct. If we can trust that, that Luke's facts are correct on many of the aspects of the life of Christ when he walked the earth, would it be fair to say that, that we can trust 
his investigation of the lineage of Jesus all the way back? Luke did his homework. He did some heavy investigation and he wrote a list of people on Mary's side of the family and he goes back even further than Abraham. He goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden and to Adam. But we're going to look at a few people in Matthew's genealogy this morning. I want you to read with me in Matthew. We're in chapter 1. We're in verse number 1. It says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We're going to stop right here. Matthew mentions only two people right here in this verse, or he mentions these two people. And we might be expecting that if Jesus were to be a perfect person, if if he was a perfect son of God, that perfection would run in his family, right? Like as the people got closer to Jesus, the people would be getting better and better and better, and then eventually we've got perfection, right? That that he comes from a, a long line of people that are royal, noble. But what we find, even looking at this first verse in the family tree in the lineage of Jesus, we find that his family is full of sinners. Point number three in your notes. Jesus, who was born a king, is part of a not-so-royal family. We have princes and princesses over in the Great Britain. And they pretty much have to live up to some standards. We would think that, you know, we see the good stuff about them on TV. They're not perfect either, right? But we're going to see some of these people in the line of Christ that are far from perfect. Abraham. I'll start with Abraham. He's the, the man who's credited as the father of the faith. One of the most faithful men in the Bible is certainly far from a saint. Abraham was a very good liar. There was a time when Abe and his wife Sarai were on their way into Egypt, and and he knew that if the rulers of the land saw his wife, they're going to take her because she's, you know, kind of hot. And so Abe says, you know what, this is what they do. They, um, they take the husbands and they kill them and they just take the wives. And so instead of, like, I don't want to die, so let's go into the land. You just tell everyone you're my sister. They won't kill me as a brother, right? He lied. He lied, he got caught, got thrown out of town. There was a time later when Abraham was way too anxious to wait for God's promise for a son that he took his wife's maid to bed to speed up God's plan. He didn't trust God. He wasn't trusting enough. Abraham, for all of his faithfulness, was in fact a very good sinner. Matthew 1, verse number 2, it continues, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. The grandson of Abraham was a man by the name of Jacob. Jacob's one of the men that that we hear in the New Testament is is claimed as being 
very instrumental in bringing people to God and, and, and bringing the Israelites and, 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 and really bringing, being a father of the faith as well. But Jacob himself had a past full of sin. See, Jacob had an older brother, not older by much, couple of minutes maybe, they were twins. So back in those days, the eldest child is the one who has the birthright. You are the one who, who has the, the, the blessings. You're the one who's probably, you gets the lion's share of the wealth. You are the one who is set. So, Jacob's second child, and he's not going to get that, but as his father is ailing and old, there is this moment when he deceives his father to take his elder brother's blessing, right? So this is more than just simply lying. This is lying, this is thievery, this is robbery, it's deceit, it's, it's I mean, you're lying to your dad, taking your brother's stuff. He's not acting as somebody that we would say is a father of a faith, right? I think it would be fair to say that instrumental to the line of Jesus as Jacob, Jacob, too, was also a very good sinner, right? Then we see the name of a woman named Tamar in the list. Tamar, she dressed up like a prostitute to deceive her father-in-law Judah, into sleeping with her and Judah was a leader of he was a leader of one of the tribes and Tamar's is used in her sin to play a part in continuing this lineage that gets to Jesus that leads us to Jesus it takes these sinful individuals and Tamar was a very good sinner verse 5 says, so Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, Rahab. Rahab was a professional prostitute who lived in the wall of Jericho and came to trust in the Lord of Israel when the Israelites came to Jericho. They came and they overtook the city. Here's Rahab. She makes the list. Verse number six, Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Verse 6 mentions one of the most famous men in all of the Old Testament, King David. And we, now we could read back at King David's life and, and we could see him as a child, as, as he shepherds the, the animals in his father's the, the, the field. He takes care of the sheep at his father's place in Bethlehem. But then we also watch through his life and we recognize and we see a story of a time when the king is outside on his balcony and he's looking down and he sees a lady taking a bath and that leads to a massive amount of deceit and, and adultery. And we see David is a very good sinner, right? And then, then David realizes that, that Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, is out at war, and, and he calls for Uriah to come back. And he sits down with him and says, hey, why don't you take a few days off, go home, be with your wife, just you know, spend some time here. 
before you go back. Your eye is like, no, uh-uh, I'm not going to do it. I've got guys out there that are fighting, and I'm not going to come and, and stay with my wife while the guys are out fighting. And so David gives Uriah probably a little knapsack of sorts. says, hey, take this to your commander. I just want to send him a note, okay? And in this note, he tells the commander, he says, put Uriah on the front lines, and when the battle is at its thickest, I want you to back off so that he's killed. And that's exactly what happens. So King David, King David himself is a man who has fallen so far and certainly by his actions isn't somebody that we would think would be in the royal line of Jesus. But he is, right? This entire list of 17 verses in Matthew and, and, and a good amount of verses in, in Luke is full of people who are stricken with sin. Although the mother of Jesus, Mary, was found in the eyes, found favor in the eyes of the Lord, she was not perfect. And although Joseph was chosen to raise Jesus from childhood, he was not perfect. Zechariah, he was a priest who lived, worked in the temple, and he was chosen to be the father of John the Baptist. But even Zechariah, a priest was not perfect. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, even with John in her womb, she is far from perfect. Point number four in your notes this morning, and this is a big point. Every single person in the family of Jesus needs a Savior. Every single person in the family of Jesus needs a Savior. Whether they were born before Christ or after Christ, we all come with sin, right? And we can't take that sin with us. Everyone before Jesus needed His, needed his salvation just like everyone since Jesus needs his salvation. In the Old Testament, a lamb would be used as a sacrifice under the, under the, the Jewish law. Now we, we do have a lamb for our sacrifice, the lamb of God. It's this boy who was born in a manger, the Lamb of God, the Messiah that was born in the house of David through the blessing to Abraham. It's his sacrificial death on the cross 33 years after his birth in a manger for sins that he didn't commit that is there to save the lives of everyone on earth. He didn't have to come, but he did. You know those family, those family lines, those family trees that were kept in the temple? Matthew and Luke give us the family lineage of 
Jesus far enough back for us to prove that he is who he says he is, to say that this family line is the family line that the Messiah comes from. And everyone else who had a family line recorded had theirs in the temple. We don't really have many of those family lines anymore to go back and look at. Because in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed and it was burnt to the ground along with all of those records. But the records of Jesus Christ live today. That family lineage and the one found in Luke, the Jews would have known. They would have been able to go back. They would have been able to say, okay, let's put this together and let's see if Luke and Matthew are lying to us or not. All the evidence was there. They had it before the temple burnt down. There's no record of anyone saying this list of people is not correct. You know why? Because this list of people is absolutely correct. Because... Through the blessings of Abraham and through David and through sinners, we get to Jesus. There is a Savior for all of us. There is a Savior for every single person on earth. And it doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter what you've done, there is forgiveness and there is a Savior. Because here's the thing, everyone on this side of Jesus is as good as sinning as everyone on that side of Jesus before he was born, right? We are all descendants of a not-so-royal family, but ladies and gentlemen, we are all part of a very royal family, amen? Amen.